What's going on, family? Pastor Sergio Chavez reporting live and direct to you and yours. And listen, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Hope Huddle Podcast, your place for inspiration, hope, and empowerment. We've begun our family series today, and so we're so excited about that. In regards to family, Desmond Tutu, he was a South African activist, said, you don't choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them. Brad Henry also said, families are the compass that guides us. They are the inspiration to reach great heights and our comfort when we occasionally falter. I want you to know that the greatest earthly gift given to us by God is the love of a family. Come on, say with me, family. The concept of family was introduced to us from the beginning of time. It was so important to God that it was actually established, the institution was established in the first book of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, when after God makes all of creation, he creates man and woman in his likeness and in his image, and he commands them to be fruitful and to multiply. God's plan from the beginning was for man and for woman to create a one flesh union, which today we know as marriage, and from there to have children. So from that time, family has become the most important, listen to me, the most important and the most essential building block of human society. Therefore, it is a unit that we are called to protect and to nurture. Yet so often we find families, including some of our own, struggling with issues of pain, with lack of communication, with emptiness, with void, with dysfunction, with hurt, all because of a cracked foundation. And when we talk about a cracked foundation, I want to paint a picture of a home. When you think about a home and you walk into a house and you begin to see cracks, it doesn't matter how many times you use joint compound or bond or whatever you use to try to cover up those cracks, the cracks are inevitably going to reappear time and time and time again if the foundation is faulty. Because if you're not getting to the root of the problem, and you're just trying to cover up the surface, the problem is going to continue to repeat itself. Families are no different. And so today we wanna answer the question, what is that foundation? Come on, ask me, pastor, what is that foundation? I am so glad you asked today. In both the biological family and the spiritual family, there is one defining characteristic at the core of the foundation. This characteristic is the foundation upon which family was intended to be built and was built from the beginning of time. Without it, a family cannot thrive. Without it, a family is unhealthy. Without it, family members become toxic to one another. They hurt one another and they tear each other apart. This defining characteristic is a simple word. L-O-V-E, love. Love, say it with me, love. The philosopher Nietzsche said, in family life, love is the oil that eases friction, the cement that binds closer together, and the music 
that brings harmony. So whether it's a union between a man and a woman, whether it's a family unit comprised of parents and their children, or it's the church family, because right here, we are also a spiritual family. All families need, all families need love as the foundation. Are you hearing me? We all need love as the foundation in order to be healthy. And I'm not just talking about any kind of love. I'm not talking about the type of love that the world has attempted to define time and time again, because you know, the world's taken its stab at defining love. But here's what, here's what Google came back with when I typed in, what is love? Besides, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That was like the first, the, the top thing that came up. But after that, here are, here are some definitions. It, love is complex. Let's define it against loneliness. Love is a force of nature. It's hard to say. Love encompasses a range of strong and positive emotional and mental states. We all know that that one is not true because if love felt good all the time, I wouldn't want to strangle my husband or my kids or some of folk all up in my space at least once a week. Let's keep it real, okay? So there were a few definitions though that I did find that included action. Notice how a lot of the definitions that the world gives us are based on feelings and emotion. But the, some of the definitions that I found that included action, it was interesting to see that the times the definition was associated with more than just feeling and it was attached to an action or a deed, it went back to reference biblical principle. So it's evident, it is evident that the world cannot define love because its standard of love is faulty. It's accommodating to the individual. It means I can pick and choose what I want love to be when it feels good to me. I can choose to put it on when it's the right people, but I can also take it off when I don't, I'm not really feeling you up in here. So we treat it as a commodity, putting it on when we wanna put it on, taking it off whenever we wanna put, take it off, making it conditional sometimes and unconditional other times. And so the world has failed us in giving us a definition of love and by the standards that the world has set in its trying to define love it's failed us time and time and time and time again there isn't a clear answer but aren't you glad today that God left us a definition for love by which we can all live and be guided and it isn't unclear and it doesn't change from the first chapter of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelations. It continues to be consistent. It continues to be the same. It's the same definition and model throughout the entire scripture and it's still proven to this day to be the best definition of love and the best source that we can go to when it comes to operating in love. How many of you are excited about that? You're thankful that God didn't leave us to try to figure out what love was supposed to look like, but that he gave us the definition and said, this is love. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Ooh, I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John 13, 35, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Say with me, love. So in today's world, we're told that, you know, we're not, uh, we shouldn't believe the best of people. We're to kind of expect the worst of everybody and uh, be suspicious of everybody's motives and, and people's intentions. But, but here's the problem with that. While many of us do have gone through traumatic experiences where we can justify that, that theory of thought, the, the faultiness in that negative thinking is that we are never able to love God's way if we're always expecting the worst of people. And so if we believe that everybody is bad and that nobody can do right and that this gospel of truth has no power to transform and change lives, then we can't love the way that God is asking us to love. So today I do wanna share three ingredients out of the first, uh, out of the first letter of, the, of Corinthians chapter 13. This is a scripture that we all know very, very well, but I believe that it's one that we need to continue to study over and over and over again because let's be real, in the church family, we forget how to act and operate in love sometimes. So it's important for us to go back to this. All right. But now before I go there, I have, I have some illustrations here that I'm going to be using. If you see me limping, guys, don't worry. It's, it's the baby's fault. This is going to be an example of, this is our source. This is God right here. Y'all see this, right? God is the source. The book of John, it says that God is love. So he is our source of love. As a matter of fact, one of the first fruits of the spirit is love. So we don't have to do this thing on our own. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that enables us to love the way that God asks us and requires us to love our families and the body of Christ. Because there's, there's two things. We have our biological family, but when Paul is speaking to the church, he's actually speaking to the love that is taking place within the body of Christ. And so this is my love tank. We all have a love tank. Some of us literally look like this. Our love tank on empty. It got nothing in here. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not talking about you. I used to be like this. I used to need a lot. Sergio can tell y'all. And then we have different sources that we need to pour love into. So for today's example, this is going to be, you know, my biological family and my church family. All right. But we're going to go to the first book. We're going to go to the first letter of Corinthians chapter 13, reading verses 4 through 8. I do want to give you a bit of context regarding this chapter. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church that was in Corinth at the time. Corinth was a major trade city, which meant that there was a lot of people traffic from different cultures and backgrounds that were coming in and out through this city. And uh, Corinth was known for its paganistic practices. And when we refer to the word pagan, uh, we're talking about the religious practices of the ancient 
Rome time, which were which tended to be polytheistic. In other words, they worshiped multiple gods. And so you can imagine that all these people from cultures and backgrounds were coming with their own, you know, religious practices and whatever the case might be. And so Corinth almost became like this melting pot of different practices. And the people in Corinth who were called the Corinthians were doing a whole bunch of their own stuff. And when people thought of the word Corinth, it, they associated it with um, perversion, with immorality, these were the words. Like the morning you were like, oh, I'm going to Corinth. Oh, you going there. Because of how corrupt, morally corrupt, the city of Corinth was. And so here comes Paul, you know, the apostle of, apostle of the Lord, and says, this is where I want to plant a church. Right in the middle of all this corruption. Because who knows, God needs, to, God needs some bold, courageous people sometimes who are not afraid to walk into the lion's den and say, God can do some transformative things up in here as well. And so Paul goes into the city of Corinth. He plants a church on his second missionary trip. And then uh, there were people who were actually converting. The Corinthians were converting. They loved this idea of a free, you know, this, this, this gift of free salvation. But the problem with the church was that they were converting and they were like this on Sunday, hallelujah to your name, Jesus, hallelujah to your name, Jesus. But then the moment church was done, hey, where's the turnip at? And so they wanted to have one foot inside, but they wanted to have another foot in the world. This is what we called worldly Christians. Y'all know about that? Y'all know any worldly Christians? You know, it's like, I'm saved, but God's still, God's still working in me. So we're talking about people who were carnal and immature, but they were believers. And so Paul writes this letter to, to the Corinthians to address and correct their behavior. Because he said, hold on a minute. How is the world supposed to know and believe that Jesus has the power to transform lives if y'all are accepting, but then you're going out and doing, living the same way that everybody else is, is living? It, it doesn't work that way. Nobody, nobody you're, not, you're not giving a good representation to the world of who Christ was. As a matter of fact, they were clicky, they, uh, you know, they talked about each other, they, 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 they had a lot of division in the church, and, and Paul said, that's not what this gospel is about. So I need to correct this behavior. And here we are in chapter 13, and Paul is writing this letter to correct behavior, and he's focusing, focusing on love. So let's throw that, that scripture up there. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. For the sake of time, I only wanna focus on three ingredients that the Holy Spirit put in my heart to talk to you about today. And the very first one of those is going to be that love is not envious. Somebody say with me, envious. An envious person is one who is unhappy or resentful because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or blessings. Let me say that again. An envious person is one who is unhappy or resentful because of someone else's possessions, qualities, 
or blessings. So envious people, and this is Paul talking about people in the church. So when we're talking about our own family, envious people are people who are upset because they don't have what you have. And what they do is they try to deprive you of what you have. Their attitude is, if I can't have it, nobody can. If God isn't blessing me, then I don't want you to be blessed. If I can't get mine, then you can't get yours. And so when there's a spirit of envy under which people are operating, what they're really trying to do is deprive or pull people down to a bottom level in which they are due to their mentality. And Christ himself taught us that this was the opposite of even his character. Because being the son of God, the greatest teacher, he said in John 14, 12 to his disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. So being the almighty, the perfect lamb, the son of God, he desired for believers to do better and greater things than he did. And so when we operate in a spirit of love, we desire to see our brethren be blessed. We desire to see our brother and sister prosper. We desire to see the others rejoicing. And guess what? It doesn't just end there. We rejoice along with them. We rejoice with them. Why? Yes, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We rejoice along with them because guess what? We all serve the same God. He is the same heavenly father for all, which means if he blessed my sister, that means he's capable of blessing me too. If he healed my brother, it means that my healing is on the way too. If he opened a door for my sister, it means he can also open a door for me too. Whatever is meant to be mine, God will give to me in its rightful time. I don't have to desire what anybody else has because what's mine, is mine. You know, I have my kids and whenever, sometimes Kalea being the oldest, she's like, mine, mine, mine. She wants everything and I'm like, this one's not for you, baby girl. This isn't a date. Well, mine, and I tell her, yours is coming. You may just have to be a little bit more patient because Nade was patiently waiting. I need to teach you some patience. And so what's meant to be ours will always be ours. And I wanna take a moment just even right here to encourage somebody that's been envious of maybe some of the things that you are seeing done in the lives of other people or you're feeling a little bit discouraged because everybody else around you seems to be getting everything together, their lives are together and you're feeling like, well, when is it gonna happen for me, Lord? And you're failing to see what God has placed on the inside of you. Let me tell you something, God does not bless copies. And as long as you are trying to be an imitator of somebody else, God is going to continue to withhold the blessing because he says, I created you with a unique fingerprint and I called you to be you. I didn't call you to be somebody else. And this was something I dealt with for a long time. 
me and my three sisters went around singing in our council all the time growing up and the next thing you know like Tracy all of a sudden blossoms and flourishes into this incredible singer she's doing all these riffs and runs and I'm here trying to do the same thing and I'm you know and I'm like Lord but I'm and she would she would literally be in her room after her after her studies five hours this was her pro I want you to understand process five hours a day for six months she would lock herself in her room and practice 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 because she knew her moment to shine was coming and here I was like my mom said Mahando a buen pilon. in other words I was just you know well if the Lord wants to use me it's just gonna happen and anytime I try to do anything that she was trying to do it just didn't come out the same way it was like for her it was effortless and flawless and I was like well why are you and God said to me and when I would try to do it there was a season, my husband could tell you, there was a season I entered, I was like, I'm gonna get a vocal coach and I'm gonna make sure I do this. And next thing you know, I'm practicing and practicing. I'm like, I'm gonna put just as much time as my sister. I know I can do it. And it just wasn't happening for me. And I'm like, but God, why? And God said, I don't have to bless you in that area because I didn't call you to be your sister. And so here I am like, God, you know, anoint my vocal cords, anoint my voice, anoint it that when I sing and when I, he said, I've given, the anointing I've given to you is different than the anointing that I've given to your sister. And she will touch people in a different way than I have called you to touch people. And so it wasn't until I said, you know what, I'm gonna surrender and I'm not gonna try to be like anybody else. I'm gonna be who you have called me to be. God said, thank you, honey. Now I can put my hand over your gift and begin to bless you. He doesn't bless copies. You can admire people's being masters at their skill set and learn from them and sit under them. I know my husband has the preacher's huddle, but for all those preachers that are in that preacher's huddle, take, take in and learn. But when it's your time to shine, baby, don't be an imitator. You better be authentic because what God placed on the inside of you is going to be different and reach different people than what my husband and I are capable of doing. The church body is made up of members and if we were all exactly the same, we wouldn't be able to produce any fruit. Thank God that he has given us all different talents and gifts to be able to share in community. And so when we operate in a spirit of love, I see that clock, babe, now I know what you're talking about. When we operate, in a spirit of love, we rejoice to see others blessed because we know that our blessing is also coming from the same source. So anytime you're ever like, yo, but God, why is it not happening to me? You better check your love tank. When you're finding it difficult to rejoice, when you hear that somebody else got good news, they got that promotion, they got that, they bought that house in a year's time and you've been here struggling three, four, five years and you still haven't gotten yours, they got the car and you're like, God, when is mine coming? You better go to the source. Cause he's got a lot of love to give so that you can also rejoice with your brother and sister and pour love out without operating in a spirit of envy. Is this helping somebody? This helping anybody? All right, I'm gonna run through these last two. Love is not easily angered or provoked. One who is easily angered or provoked, or one who is not 
easily angered or provoked is one who is not snappy, not easily offended, and not irritable. Oh my God. Let me just tell y'all, the Lord is still working in me on this one. Because <laughs> I have a strong character. My husband can tell y'all. Sometimes I catch myself, I'm like, spirit of love, come over me now. The fastest growing therapy sessions in popularity today in America are anger management sessions. One out of five Americans has an anger management problem. If there's 50 of us in here, that means that 10 of us have an anger management problem. And one out of 10 has a severe impulsive anger problem. If anything can tip you over the edge, it is your own family. Because you expect them to understand where you're coming from. You expect them to know, you've been living with me for eight years and you still don't know that ticks me off. <laughs> we expect more from our family than we do from other people, right? We tend to be very gracious wherever, you know, when people come over to our house, we open the doors of our home and people come and they leave a mess, glory to God, you know, and their kids come and I'm there like feeding them and all the food is falling everywhere, but I'm like, praise Jesus, I'm gonna have to clean this up after, but you know, this is all love and, and, and I'm glad to be able to do it. And then once everybody leaves, I'm cleaning up and you know, with my worship music, cause I'm like, you know, Lord, this is a blessing. I have a home where I can invite people over and I'm just happy. And, and then I'm done and I'm getting ready to go upstairs. I come back down, maybe to get a glass of water and you know, you find the milk carton outside of the fridge. You see your husband in the next room. And you like, really? And then it's even more explosive on the inside when they forget to put the top back on. <laughs> and then you just wanna, then you just wanna scream when you can't find the top and you're asking about where the top is and they're like, I don't know where I put it. Oh, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that has a problem. Ain't nobody else know. You know, y'all gonna go keep it real with me. You gonna make me feel bad up here. You know I love you, babe. He's doing, he's doing a much better job, by the way, guys. <laughs> he really is. But we tend to extend so much grace and patience to everybody else. But when it comes to our own family, it's like the smallest thing will just tick us over the edge. And so, the emotion of anger isn't the negative thing because God gave us the emotion. So it's not a bad thing. We have it for a reason. However, it's our response. It's what we do with the anger that can result in a negative or a positive consequence. And so if we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, these scriptures are not up on the screen by the way, so just follow along with me. Ephesians 4 26 tells us, don't let the sun set on your anger. In other words, holding on to anger for too long causes resentment. And once resentment has settled in your heart, guess what? It becomes very difficult to forgive and to let go. And so it's not that it's wrong for me to be upset or irritated at something that's done. 
But what God wants us to begin to practice is, I process the emotion and I'm just gonna let the offense go. After we've dealt with it, we're gonna let it go. You know why? Because anger doesn't solve anything. Let's be honest. When has explosive anger, yelling at anybody ever led you to a solution in any situation? Never, it never has. And so when people are living or they're operating under this spirit of anger, they tend to just continue to hurt other people that are around them. My husband uses this quote all the time, which I love. It's, um, if you don't heal from what hurts you, you will bleed on people that never cut you. And so the root of resentment really begins with anger. It's when we don't let go of the anger and we let it fester. We let it stay in our heart and sit there. And so when we come across angry people, and you might know some of these people, they tend to be people who are just irritable. They're, they're, and let's be honest, they're not pleasant to be around. Anger is such a strong emotion that it's very difficult to hide. You ever met any of those people where, you know, whether it's in your family, you know, you go to a family engagement or in the church, you meet any of those people and they live with so much anger and resentment that they don't even know how to smile. You're like, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? It's like they struggle to even put on a smile because what anger does is that it actually physically ages you and it causes stress toxins to multiply in the body. And we didn't need science for this, but science just proves Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And when you live with anger, really what you're doing is you're digging yourself a grave. This was not God's intention for us. Love is not easily angered and it is not easily provoked, which leads me to the last point. And with this, we close. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love forgives. One who keeps no record of wrongs or one who forgives is one who takes no account of the wrong done to them. In other words, they don't feed it attention. It doesn't mean that they don't acknowledge it. It just means that they don't feed it attention. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 22. I love Peter because he was the hothead out of all of the disciples. And so you can probably imagine that he, he probably dealt with a lot of people and, and, and he came to Jesus and he was like, you know, I'm tired of this forgiveness thing. So Jesus, uh, Lord, how many times shall I forget my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? He wanted to put a number on it, you know, because he probably was on his seventh count. So he said up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times. And he's probably like, okay, he's going to say like eight or nine. And he goes, but 77 times. <laughs> What Jesus was telling Peter was that we never stop forgiving. There is no end to forgiveness. And the reason for that is because forgiveness was not intended for the other person. Forgiveness brings healing to you. 
So if we put a limit on how many times we forgive, we put a limit on our healing. And God said, I want you to continually and constantly be whole and be healed. So I don't want to put a limit on how many times you have to let go of the resentment or how many times you have to let go of the offense or how many times you're going to have to put aside the abuse and the hurt because I want you to be whole and to be healed. Love enables us to quickly forgive. And some of us hold on to things for years, somehow thinking that we might be doing the other person some sort of damage or wrong and while they sleep well at night, here we are digging ourselves in a deeper grave because we can't let go of what they did to us. And I know that people offend us and they hurt us deeply, they cut us deeply. There is no one on earth that can hurt you more than the people that are around you because they have access to your heart. They have access to who you are. But if we continue to hold on to the resentment and have a heart that is unforgiving, the only thing that we do is we limit our own emotional and internal healing. I want you to know that forgiveness does not give the other person the right to continue to hurt you. That is not what I'm saying. Nor does it mean that we have to reconcile with that person and now be, you know, best friends, buddy buddies. That's, that's not what forgiveness means either. It simply means that we are willing to let it go. We make a choice to let it go from our heart because the more we hold on to it, it steals our joy, it steals our peace, and it steals our ability to be kind and to love one another. It paralyzes us from being the best version of who God intended us to be. It's hard for us even to move on, we, and we've all, we know this if we've been in toxic relationships, it's hard for us to move on even in relationships when we haven't healed from the hurt of a past relationship. We begin to assume the same of the other that maybe God even put in our path because of what somebody else did to us. And it's not fair. I want you to know today that God can and will if you allow him to. He can and he will take your hurt. He will not waste an ounce of your pain and he can use it as a platform and a stepping stool for your ministry. I'm gonna repeat that again. God can and he will if you allow him to. Take your hurt, take your pain, not waste an ounce of it, and use it to be the platform for your ministry. I think somebody else needs to hear that again because you don't believe me. I said God can. And if you allow him to, he will. Take every ounce of your pain and every ounce of your hurt and use it as your platform to launch you into ministry. I am a living testimony of this because I had every reason to use the pain when my father left me to throw in the towel. 
I had every reason to use the pain of a toxic relationship to say I'm never going to trust another man again. I had every reason to use the pain that my mother went through to say I'm never, I never want to be a mother because I never want to have to go through what my mother went through raising three daughters on her own. I could have used the pain and the hurt of the people who lied on me and backstabbed me and said she's not going to amount to anything. Look at the color of her skin. She's going to ruin the race if you marry her. Look at the texture of your hair. Oh, you want your daughters, your sons to come out with that type of hair? I could have used the pain that other people tried to put on me to say, I don't want to do this anymore. But you know what I learned? There is power in pain because it was the pain that God used to bring me to my knees. It was the pain and the hurt that God used to bring out everything that was on the inside of me. It was the pain that God used to teach me. You will never do to others what was done to you. And the day that I launch you into ministry, I want you to remember the pain that other people put you through. I want you to remember what that day felt like when people told you that you weren't worthy, that you weren't good enough, that you wouldn't amount to anything, that God couldn't use you because of the situation that you we're in I want you to remember the pain so that the day that I put you in ministry you don't forget that the same love and grace that I extended to you I want you to also extend to others and so today God says to you whatever the pain whatever the hurt whatever the abuse put that at my feet because I can take that pain. I am the only one who can take the pain and take all the broken pieces and create a beautiful masterpiece. What you see standing here today isn't a person who is perfect. It's a person who's been through a lot of pain. It's a person who has many scars and many wounds but I've understood and I've learned, God has taught me that others have found refuge in my wounds. And sometimes I look at my scars, even the scars that are on my stomach from giving birth to my three babies. And I look at them and I say, these things, ah, oh, they're ugly. And the Spirit of the Lord whispers to me, they're beautiful because you birthed purpose. And so what you see as something that might be absolutely nothing, I had to use the pain to bring out purpose and destiny. Once again, much love and appreciation for listening to today's message. I'm so glad that you've been a part of the listening experience. But let me tell you, there's nothing like the live experience. It cannot be explained only experienced and so i encourage you to come out on a sunday so you can listen to the messages live and be a part of a wonderful atmosphere within family and within community you can find more information about our gatherings on our website at myhopecenter.org also make sure to follow us we're on instagram facebook and twitter our handle is at myhopecenter i also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you get notified as soon as we upload content make sure to share 
share it with your friends and your family. There's someone that you know that could really benefit from these messages. So make sure to spread the word about what's happening here on the Hope Huddle podcast. So again, I hope to see you soon. Until then, peace, love, and God bless.